Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today we have a special guest, Lucas Miles. He has a new book out called Woke Jesus, and the subtitle is The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. And it's a very fascinating book. Lucas Miles is a writer, he's a speaker, film producer, and I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about this very important subject. But first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome, Lucas Miles. Thanks for having me. So, Woke Jesus. Now, first of all, let's start with what, I mean, there's a few people out there who may not understand what woke means. What is woke? What is wokeism? Yeah. Let's start with that. And then we'll talk about how it's kind of infiltrated the church and how that happened. Yeah. I I think wokeism is a hypersensitivity or hyper-focus on um, uh, this idea that all of society is separated between oppressed and oppressive class uh, it's it's a heightened sense of consciousness of suffering. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of this uh, really kind of a form of uh, neo-Marxism in many ways uh, that has been pushed into virtually every single fabric of society. It becomes hard to define because we see it play out differently. We have critical race theory. We have critical queer theory. Uh, we have critical fat theory now. And so all of these are sort of expressions Wait, of critical the fat umbrella. theory. Where do we- <laughs> yeah, it's that, it's that, it's that, you know, that one. What are you yeah, so that, that all uh, all people who are in shape or skinny are oppressing those who are overweight and all of society, you know, the rides at, at the rides at amusement parks and all these things are all geared towards people of a certain weight class. And so, you know, it's very oppressive if you don't fall into that, you know, category. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't it, know that. And look, I mean, this is the nature of critical theory and the nature of really Marxism is that it's always reinventing itself for the purpose of creating additional divides in society. Um, and, and, and I think the ultimate goal of this is, is um, uh, to really dismantle uh, the family, dismantle the, the framework of Western you know, uh, um, society, uh, dismantle the church. And so we're seeing that play out uh, in a lot of different expressions. Yeah, it's it's I it, I think it it kind of all sort of uh came to the surface during the pandemic. But what tell me what I mean you go back to Hegel and Hegel and Kant, but you don't have to necessarily go all the way back to them, but what factors led to the church uh from biblical Christianity to this kind of woke ideology? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh and I appreciate the opportunity to kind of unpack this a little bit. I you know, one of the reasons that drove me to write this book was that I've, I believe that until Christians begin to understand wokeism and understand the dangers of progressive theology, there, we, we, will, we will be challenged to refute it. Uh, we have to understand it well enough to know how to really present a case against it. And so uh, what happened at the end of the Enlightenment and sort of into the post-Enlightenment period, especially in Germany, there was, um, uh, there was, uh, there was a rise in what became known as critical theology. And essentially... Um, the, 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 the whole world had been 
uh, transformed through the Enlightenment. Now that now all of a sudden logic and reason became the 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 sort of uh, um, uh, the ideals that everyone were was pursuing. And and there was a problem because when yeah, you open like, up Rose, the by the way, Robespierre famously marched into Notre Dame during before after the French Revolution and declared it a temple of reason. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yes. So, so this is the time period that we're talking about. And so what we're seeing is that the church had a problem. And the problem with the church was that they had this book called the Bible that they believe, in which I would agree, is the authoritative, you know, uh, inerrant word of God. And when you open it up, it doesn't always look like reason and logic because there's miracles and there's Jesus walking on water and right, raising from the dead and there's feeding the 5,000. And there's these things that are happening that, that a logical mind, just a carnal mind, was struggling to process. And so there were some theologians that began, um, basically, I think, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I think their goal was to, try to, was to try to salvage the gospel, salvage the church. They began focusing on kind of the non-miraculous aspects to Jesus's life, so much so that they actually got to a point where they started criticizing um, the, the uh, miraculous uh, events that we see in the New Testament as likely mytho-history. And so they started rewriting the biography of Jesus in in a, a work that became known as the uh, the the quest for the historical Jesus. And there were literally hundreds of these biographies that were written about how, you know explaining that Jesus didn't really walk on water; he was actually standing on a raft, and and you know the disciples couldn't see it, and he's floating across the raft, and and he didn't really feed the five thousand by you know multiplying the the, the bread and and the uh, the fish that he actually had a group of monks, you know, baking bread for him in a cave that were handed out secretly through the back wall. And, you know, kind of these ludicrous ideas. And that, that started developing further and further. They started very ridiculous, but it kind of moved more into what we know today as progressive uh, theology. Where, to the point and, and where so there's no with progressive theology, there's no essentially there's no virgin birth, no de- no death and res- no resurrection. Yeah. Like, you know, all these and no miracles, obviously. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's a spectrum. So you would have some people that have been, you know, impacted by aspects of progressive theology that might still believe in a virgin birth or might still believe that Jesus is, you know, God in the flesh. But you have on the extreme side, you have a very uh, a human Jesus, what I call a terrestrial Jesus, that is, is not divine. And, and, and people would go as far to say is that, you know, either he didn't really die on the cross, he had somebody else die in his place, or... If he did die on the cross, he didn't raise from the dead, but he is resurrected in all of us when we live out his teachings. And that's really what right. the resurrection of Jesus means. So you have all these you know, bizarre things. Into the 1900s, it becomes the social gospel movement. Uh, eventually, more in our lifetime, it becomes the social justice movement. Uh, until now, what we have today has, has iterated even further into what we call progressive Christianity or woke Christianity. And of course, it's taken on a life of its own really in the last decade or so. Wow. And uh, and do you agree with me that the the pandemic kind of kind of exacerbated the whole thing and Yeah, I I really think so. I I mean there was stuff in motion before that. I mean we could go back to um uh you know Obama White House, we could go back even further than that with the seeker sensitive movement, some aspects that started kind of breaking through, but there was an acceleration during the pandemic. I think the the pandemic and I talk about this in the book, the combination of the pandemic and then the death of George Floyd. Um those two <laughs> things uh, were just it was like throwing gasoline on this, and it just accelerated. And I think the church, I think a lot of Christians, especially a lot of major senior pastors that are you know well known in this country, they didn't know what to do. 
Uh, and so they were trying to, you know, debate what would Jesus do when you have the government telling us we need to shut down for, you know, the protection of everybody and not spread this this uh, uh, this virus. And then what would Jesus do in the response to this this horrific thing that we saw happen with George Floyd? And and it ended up creating a lot of confusion. And I don't think the church was ready for it. And so a lot of people got pulled into progressive Christianity that probably weren't even trying to get pulled into it through those events. But those who are looking for reasons to promote it further, they leverage those two events in order to really take this and accelerate it to, to the to the level that we're seeing today. And what are you talk about this in the book? What are the perceived wrongs according to woke churches? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a little bit of it, but what, kind of talk about that a little bit more. So, so um, you know, when we see woke woke Christianity today, and again, you might hear it called the Christian left, progressive uh, Christianity, or progressive church, or conscious Christianity. These are all sort of interchangeable names. Uh, oftentimes, they have a diminished view of of Scripture. They believe it's something less than the Word of God. Uh, maybe history, maybe myth. You know, uh, maybe just a, good lessons for us. Um, they, they typically, uh, don't hold to the sacraments, uh, uh, depending on which denomination they're part of. And this is, this is systemic across virtually every denomination now. Um, uh, they, uh, one of the things that I, I point out in the book is that woke Christianity actually robs the Christian of being able to suffer for the cause of Christ. That now suffering is always seen through the lens of some, you know, uh, a marker of our humanity. It's because, you know, it's because of my sexuality that I'm that I'm being persecuted. It's because of my uh, uh, my country of origin I'm being persecuted. It's because of of my color of my skin I'm being persecuted, and that I can never really give, you know, uh, um, Christ the benefit of suffering for Him. It's always about me in that, and so it's a very me focused form of of Christianity. Uh, but ultimately, what it gets away from, it begins to see Jesus as the great social organizer and sort of this this uh, sort of you know hippie Jesus that came to start a socialist revolution rather than the savior of the world. And so you're never going to hear um, you know uh, you know uh, you know radical progressive Christians talk about uh, the the uh, heaven and hell, repentance, uh, the need to ask for forgiveness for our sins. It usually takes on a more universalistic, everybody's saved, they don't know it yet, um, you know, kind of an open heaven that you can sort of, you know, even if you go to hell, you know, after you're dead, you're going to be able to make it back into heaven if you just kind of work through these steps. I mean, it's, it's very bizarre, kind of all the iterations that we see. We'll be right back after this short break. Yeah, and I, I just think about kind of in terms of the sexual stuff, um, there's this 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 thing kind of this virus that's going around in the church that where it's uh where kind of ex gays if you if you want to use that term I don't even like that term but are considered sexual minorities in the church yeah yeah so it's like for for me that's so first of all it's anti biblical and anti gospel but secondly it's like again it's creating this victim mentality this vi- I'm a victim. Instead of I'm a victor because I'm in, I'm united to Christ right. and I have eternal life and I have a relationship with him, but it, it's just this constant, I mean, this goes across all kinds of uh, categories, but is it, with the sexuality thing, the LGBTQ thing, it's like, I'm a victim. I, you know, I need special attention. I need special yeah. help, like whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, a perfect example of that, you know, um, it was, uh, maybe a month or two ago, we had pastor Andy Stanley who, you know, for years, I mean, I enjoyed his leadership material. I think most, you know, most Christian leaders did, 
um, who has started kind of, you know, edging his way into this, that he did this sort of famous message where he talks about how that, um, you know, he's finally faced the fact that that gays in his in his church have even greater faith than he does, because if they're willing to come to a church, despite how people think about them, that shows that they have a greater faith and that as a result of their greater faith, he wishes that he had even more, uh, you know, homosexuals in his church because of their great faith. And, you know, it's it uh, there's parts of this that you go, is that right or not? And, and but it becomes very quickly this elevation uh, and and glorification of, of, of someone based upon their sexuality rather than what the Bible teaches, which is is the depravity of man, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I, you know, if he would have got up there and said, look, I wish I had more gays in my church because that means the gospel's getting out and people are coming here to hear about Jesus yeah. and we're going to believe for their transformed life and victory over sin and all these things. You know, everybody would have gotten behind that. But but instead, what we see is we see this this, you know, really twisting of the word, minimizing of sin. And it's not that as an evangelical, maybe an orthodox evangelical in my in my theology that that I am 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 saying that, you know, I'm better than somebody else because of their sin and that I don't struggle with it. No, I'm saying that 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 what the Bible teaches is that if you've broken one law, you're guilty of breaking them all. Uh, even if I've never been in a homosexual relationship, the Bible says if I've sinned one time, it's as if I am a homosexual. So we re- recognize our depravity across the board that that apart from Christ, that I have nothing to offer in regards to my own righteousness. But through the cross of Christ, that he's given me this gift of righteousness and I'm able to overcome sin and live victorious in him. And that my relationship and status with God is not based upon my works or my abilities, but it's based upon what he did on the cross. And that that is being robbed from the message of woke Christianity. And it's really they're presenting another gospel that oftentimes is based upon doing the work. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a legalistic framework, much like um, uh, we see in critical race theory, et cetera, of that you have to keep doing the work in order to, you know, achieve enlightenment in so, of some form. Yeah. And there's never really an end to it. It's like there's never yeah. redemption. <laughs> there's never forgiveness. Yeah. It's, it's just ongoing. Exactly right. It never ends. Yes. So it's yeah. Like, yeah. Christ died once for all. And, you know, it's like there's no it's like the, it's the opposite of the gospel. Yeah, 100%. And and that's, you know, that's one of my, um, you know, uh, things that I point out regularly about, especially critical race theory, is that there is no redemption. At what point does somebody say, hey, I appreciate you doing the work. I just want you to know we're good. You know, but but that never comes with critical race theory. It's it's you. Hey, you got to keep doing this. And and what we see and, you know, especially in so in, in the book, I go through kind of uh, and, and really set up um, you know, it, it, to some degree, an order of history where we we see the effects of of the Cotton Hegels and and uh, kind of comparisons to to Gnosticism. We see um, you know Black liberation theology and liberation theology, which was sort of this early uh, uh, influx of Marxism into various sects of Christianity. And then we see these kind of more modern things of critical race theory, et cetera. And you know, when you look at this, it's it's um, they all have these same similarities: lack of forgiveness. Uh, always a push towards this greater sense of enlightenment, but really uh, it's all about kind of my works and my effort uh, and not, you know, this gift of God. And, and it's, it is a, it's doctrine of legalism. Um, but so many people are being deceived by this right now. You open up TikTok, Instagram reels, whatever you search progressive Christianity, and you'll find people saying, um, you know, uh, that one of my favorites was that because Jesus called John his beloved and because Jesus likely wore a tunic and that's kind of like a dress, he's trans affirming and he might even have been gay because he let John put his head on his lap, you know? And so you have these, you have these just really crazy, bizarre things that have no theological backing, 
but yet they're being presented as because this is my truth, right? And and in a world where there is no absolute truth, everybody's truth gets to be heard. And and if you refute it, if you say anything against it, well, now you're you know you're homophobic or transphobic or something like that. Uh, and and you know Christianity is as a result of progressive you know uh, doctrines is starting to lose its meaning. And and all of a sudden we have to ask, well, which Jesus do you follow? Do you follow woke Jesus? Do you follow the black Christ of black liberation theology? Do you follow the white Jesus of Aryan theology? Or do you follow the biblical Christ? And and it's uh, it's becoming a very confusing time to be a Christian. But ultimately, I believe that the answers are still in the word of God. And we have to we have to keep leading the church and believers back to that. Preach. Okay. And you, you mentioned Gnosticism. What's the connection between because Gnosticism was an early church yeah. heresy? That was condemned by yeah. Irenaeus. What's the connection between Gnosticism? What is Gnosticism, number one? Yeah. And then what's the connection between that and what wokeism? You're, you're absolutely right. And I love talking with people that know their history. So the, the, first, the first two heresies to face the church was the Judaizers, which we see addressed and condemned in the New Testament. Basically, these uh, uh, sort of Pharisee uh, um, you know, framework that, that they had adopted parts of the gospel and but really brought a very strong degree of legalism with it simultaneously and and really on into the first several centuries after the birth of the church we have gnosticism rise up and gnosticism was sort of a blend of judaism christianity and zoroastrianism and some other you know pagan uh religions and it had this whole framework there's a lot of uh, diversity uh, among beliefs and the different uh, parts of it but the the couple of the unifying things was that redemption or salvation came through enlightenment so that we had to get to a higher knowledge. So the word Gnostic uh, was actually a derogatory term applied to Gnostics initially called, and it meant those who know, basically saying these know-it-alls who have come into the church was sort of the uh, the, the accusation against them. And Gnostics believed that, that, um, that the creator, Yahweh, had subjected creation and, and humanity as a result uh, to an oppressive state because they were uh, made as created beings. They were pulled out of the spiritual dimension because we were given flesh and we're put in an earthly dimension. We are therefore under this oppression. So whereas Christianity would say God created the garden and it was good. And because we sinned, we brought a fall. Not God didn't create us in a system of oppression. We brought that upon us through, you know, eating of the fruit and through our own sin. Gnosticism would reject that and it would say that God was the one that created this system of oppression. But they would say that Jesus, who they, they distinguish as a different being from God, some Gnostics believe that Jesus was a man who kind of became enlightened to a, a, to a divine nature. Others believe that he was, um, that he was you know, uh, um, you know uh, himself divine and, and, you know, both divine and man. Uh, but ultimately, they believe that Jesus came to free us from Yahweh. And that by this knowledge of him, that we get free from Yahweh and we're able to kind of overcome this oppressive system. So when you start looking at this, you know, this is why I believe that, you know, I think it was Bodhi Bakum and, uh, um, and you, know, uh, uh, you know, others have addressed this as well. Uh, but it first called critical race theory ethnic Gnosticism. It's mm-hmm. because there's this system, you know, systemic oppression that exists in society uh, within critical race theory, they believe that um, white culture or white hegemony created that oppression, um, but that when we get woke, when we get enlightened from this, we're able to overcome out of this. So the framework is very, very similar, and uh, at the end of the day, all of it is focused on alienation. 
you know, that that I feel alienated. Um, uh, uh, Heidegger called it thrownness, that I'm sort of thrown into this world apart from anything else. And I'm here, but that salvation comes through this higher knowledge or through some sort of, you know, elevated consciousness. Uh, and we see that same framework happening in this this woke ideology that that is being presented today. And yeah, and you say you talk about Christian nationalism in the book and you you say that uh, woke Christians are the true Christian nationalists. So what first of all, what is Christian nationalism yeah. and why do you say that about? You know, this is this is a radical, uh, I think, position for a lot of people, because, you know, uh, we've heard so long that, you know, if you voted for Trump or if you believe in the second coming of Christ or if you believe in evangelism then and you love your country, then you're a Christian nationalist. You know, there's there's these sort of loose definitions of the term. And, and that term is utilized by um, the media and by the left as sort of a dog whistle to point towards uh, the idea that anybody holds to an evangelical framework is, is similar to a Nazi. Because when we think of Christian nationalists, where most people go to is Nazi Germany. And so I always go, let's talk about Nazi Germany then, because let's understand Christian nationalism. So in Nazi Germany, we had two major divisions of the church. There was in, in during the rise of the Third Reich, there was what was known as the German church, and then there was the professing church. The German church, um, uh, you know, uh, basically ended up becoming what was known as the German Nazified church. They abandoned orthodoxy and they bowed down to the Third Reich. Uh, our, our friend Eric Metaxas would say that they exchanged the Bible for Mein Kampf and the, and the cross for the swastika. Uh, the believe the professing church, which you know Bonhoeffer would be one of the most notable names in, they held to their to their position that the Bible was the word of God. They held to the gospel. Many of them were persecuted alongside of the Jews in concentration camps and gas mm -hmm. chambers. Many had to uh, um, you know had to flee the, the the country. And so let's let's look at what group is the is the the Christian nationalists. It wasn't the the, the Christian nationalists were not the Bible believing professing church. Nobody would call Bonhoeffer a Christian nationalist. Um, he was he was pushing back against the government and, you know, uh, ended up, you know, uh, giving his life for that. Uh, no, the Christian nationalists were the ones who were willing to exchange their faith for the views of the Third Reich. And they bowed down to it and essentially, you know, traded uh, um, uh, the, the gospel for uh, for the, the doctrines of Nazism and and, you know, just got in line and became sort of this uh, propaganda piece for the state. What do we have today in America? We have a professing church that believes in the gospel, that believes in the word of God, that doesn't care. And I, I mean, you know, I, look, if, 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 you know, it doesn't matter, you know, we could say Trump, DeSantis, I, pick whatever favorite, you know, uh, conservative figure you have. If one of those guys show up and say, hey, you know what, get away from this Bible thing. I want you to follow my doctrine over this. Sorry, bud. You know what? You just lost me right there. I don't know one Christian who would follow any conservative leader who began leading them away from the gospel or from the word of God. But yet we see in the in the progressive church, we we see virtually no difference between the doctrine of progressive Christianity and the doctrines of, of the current administration. They have the same view on trans, on, on marriage, on sexuality, on immigration, on open borders. They have virtually the same view on all of these things. Who's really the Christian nationalist? I say it's the left who's abandoned the faith and, and replaced it with a worship of the state. And they've bowed their knee. Wow, that's pretty powerful. And you you talk about uh I want to just quote something from your book. Uh, where is it? 123. <clears throat> you talk about this idea of to make the gospel the main thing. And you say the reticence of the modern church to tackle social issues has created a moral and spiritual vacuum in our culture, unintentionally making room for the ex expansion of 
religious pluralism, a leading justification for this silence, especially among non-confrontational conservative clergy, is to is a desire to quote make the gospel the main thing. You hear that all the time. Um, yeah, like let's just make the gospel the main thing. Let's not talk. Talk about that for a minute, because yeah. that yeah, yeah. that is bananas. I I appreciate you. Uh, you're actually the first interview I've done that's focused on that part. So I appreciate that. And I think it's a very important point is we've seen a reluctance in the modern church to address these social issues. Um, the, and, and, and it's all under that, that guise of, well, I'm just going to preach Jesus, or I'm just going to teach the gospel. I'm going to let the world kind of focus on its stuff. Well, you know, when we look at Jesus, first of all, who did Jesus spend a lot of time um, speaking to and speaking against. It was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the um, uh, really the the religious and judicial class of Judaism. He spent his time talking to the leaders who were making the laws, governing the laws, overseeing the laws between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he spent his time addressing them. And I think that that uh, you know, look, and their their system of of politics is certainly different than ours uh, because it was a hybrid between church and state, where we have a little bit more of a separation. Um, but but the the point is there that there was uh, uh, that that Jesus essentially used his voice and used truth to speak to leaders who were in positions of authority, who had uh, positions of influence, in order to correct them and to ultimately either expose their. Um, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the, the fallacies that they were holding on to or to lead them to the truth. Um, in our society today, as a pastor myself, I've been, a, I started preaching at 17. I've been a senior pastor for almost 20 years now at a church in Indiana. And, and what we see is this, is that you have so many people come and say, well, I, you know what, pastor, I, I'm fine if you preach from the word of God, but, you know, don't talk about politics, just talk about the Bible. Well, the Bible intersects, you know, religion and faith intersects with every area of our life. The Bible talks about marriage. The Bible talks about how we treat one another. It talks about uh, it talks about heaven and hell. It talks about the need for repentance. It talks about sin. Uh, it talks about grace. Yeah, all of these things. And so we see that that Scripture does not um, uh, uh, does not pick and choose the areas in which it's willing to invade. It invades all areas of our life. And I think that uh, look, as a Christian, I really didn't start getting bold about these things when when I saw the craziness in the world. I, I didn't worry about that. I, I expect people that don't know Jesus to do the things of that people who don't know Jesus do, right? I don't expect them to live to the same moral standard, uh, assuming that they're not, you know, just attacking other people and harming others. I don't expect them to live the same standard that I might, you know, want to live to as a Christian because they don't believe in a lot of things that I believe in. But when all of a sudden I started seeing that intersect with the church and I started seeing, you know, churches switch over their doctrine. I mean, you can't drive through any major city today. You're going to see a Marxist BLM flag or or you're going to see, you know, a, a rainbow flag or a rainbow cross, you know, with virtually, you know, half the churches downtown in these cities. And and the church has been invaded. And, and so as I started seeing the rise of that, I felt the need to speak up as a Christian I believe it's my job to to defend the faith and to say when I see something that's presenting itself as Christianity, but it's actually uh, um, you know uh, creating a system that's completely antithetical to the gospel or the scriptures. It's our job as Christians to call that out, to call it what it is, and I believe it is heresy, and we do have to help lead people outside of that. And I'm doing that not because I'm I'm mad or I'm angry or I hate these people. I'm doing it because I love people, and I believe that the gospel, the true gospel, is the only thing that can actually set them free. And I want to make sure that false gospels are not being proclaimed in, in such a way that's creating confusion and leading people astray. 
And that's what, yeah, I mean, there's so many Christians in churches who are confused about all sorts of issues like sexuality, like uh, all kinds of issues, because, uh, you know, Rome is burning and we're we're not (laughs) talking about these like giant issues that are invading the church. It's not just like, again, like you said, it's not just like this out there in the world, it's invading the church. So it's a, it's incumbent upon leaders in the church to address these issues, you know, not just once every 10 years or whatever. It's, it's, you know, we need to talk about these things because it is confusing the congregation. It's and a, a lot of Christians are like, well, I guess, Hmm, I guess because the world is so powerful, the world is so yeah. influential and the, it's just the Christians are just falling. They're falling away. Christians or, or their theology is completely, you know, confused now. And so it, it is very, it's it, vital I mean, it, that we talk it, about these things. If I could share some stats, I mean, the, uh, I believe this, the, one of the most recent stats is 24% is all that is left of, Christians who attend church on a on a you know regular basis who still believe that the Bible is the word of God. So according to the statistics, 76% of people who are attending church on a regular basis believe the Bible is something less than the word of God. Uh, maybe, maybe um uh you know uh you know inspired but not authoritative, maybe it's a history book, maybe it's myth, you know, they're believing something other than the Bible is word of God. Even among senior pastors. I mean, the, the stats are frightening when you look at the number of pastors that still hold to a biblical worldview. And, and this, is, this is because the left is invaded. You know, they, they did this right. The left knew what they were doing. And when I say the left, I'm not just talking about Democrats. I'm talking about radicalized you know, mar- people that hold kind of a Marxist framework that are trying to deconstruct these elements of society. I believe that, that um, the radical left knows that in order to win elections, that they have to do two things. They have to disrupt the family. And they have to divide the church. And so we see these movements that are happening today, whether it be kind of the, these, uh, you know, sexual libertine movements or, um, or, or, or more of a socialist, you know, framework that's coming in or race focus, uh, um, you know, kind of divisive rhetoric, that these things are coming in for the purpose of dividing the church, dividing mm-hmm. the family. And, and the result is that it's, it's causing um, wins in the polls uh, for the radical left because they're seeing the numbers go down on the right. And and I think that uh, they're winning a lot of people over through this confusion. And so we have to educate our pastors again. Uh, we have leftist Bible colleges that are raising up leftist pastors that are then, you know, impacting and influencing congregations with this rhetoric. And, and you know, at one time, all of our nation's institutions, Harvard, Yale, they were built as theological centers to raise solid clergy, but yeah. they were invaded. And so then you had the second tier of the Biolas and the Wheatons and all these other Bible colleges that were formed. And now we're starting to see a lot of those places are affected. Um, you know, as well, because dollars are coming in and people are kind of bowing the knee when you follow the money. And uh, and it's getting to the point to where, you know, it's it's hard to find a place um, to go to as a young pastor to get trained in uh, that's not going to damage your faith more uh, than it's going to build it up. Yeah. And you you talk about this in the book and uh, on page 76, you, you talk about follow, you talk about when you say follow the money. You mentioned, uh, I don't know how to say his name, W. Cleon Skousen? Skousen? Yes, yeah, yeah, wrote uh, um, uh, The Naked Communist. Naked Communist, yes. In 1958, and he's some of the goals, he listed 45 goals of communism. Uh, and the, and a, a, you, you put in your book a couple of the rules. Rule number 17, 
get control of the schools, use them as transmission mm -hmm. belts for socialism and current communist propaganda, soften the curriculum, get control of teachers associations, put the party line in textbooks, and then rule 27, which is really frightening, infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social, quote unquote, yeah. social religion, discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. Yep. Yep. Scary exactly. Stuff. Yeah, you have you have these uh, these are objectives of socialists. This was actually discovered by I think there was an FBI FBI agent involved, and and they were kind of through interrogations and interviews and things back in the forties. They uncovered these rules that socialists had, and we see this playing out today. They've they've basically accomplished almost every single one of them. Um, and you know we we see this happen. I mean, we, you go back. You know, we talk about the uh, the, the sexual side of this, and you look at um, uh, the work that was that was done. Um, Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. The uh, the IU uh, uh, researcher. Um, I'll think of it here in a second. I, I just did it. I just did a workshop on it. And so you know you have this these these radical sexual um, uh, reports that are given in the late '40s um, that that are put out there, and all of a sudden you know through this through this idea we have uh, we have the birth of sex ed. In our school system, which, you know, in and of itself is probably fairly innocuous, but then it starts getting radicalized and it becomes more and more radicalized as we go until you get to the point to where we have it what it is today. And so uh, that's just one area of society. The same thing has happened, you know, uh, through the social justice movement that, you know, social justice started off. It's like, well, of course, as Christians, we're supposed to help the widows and the orphans. That sounds good. And then it started moving to, you know, Jesus is a refugee or Israel is the oppressor and Palestine's the oppressed. And so, you know, we have to, you know, kind of use this Marxist framework in order to see that, you know, Palestinians, those are the real, you know, those are the righteous. Those are the ones that God has in Israel. Those are those are the ones that are living counter to this. And it, it starts creating anti-Semitism in the church. All of these things kind of they're attacking on every front. And ultimately what it's doing is it's weakening the gospel, weakening the church. Uh, it's been a Trojan horse that's kind of worked its way in. And we as Christians, we have to really reclaim uh, the gospel, rediscover it, I think, through the scriptures and and clarify that for the sake of the world. And you you mentioned uh, that wokeism is appealing to it's very appealing to to millennials and Gen Z. Why is that, do you think? I, I think that in in some ways it offers kind of a halfway house of uh, feeling spiritual without having to be overly um, uh, uh, focused on personal righteousness uh, because there's such a downplay in behavior. And this is one of the Gnostic aspects, actually. So Gnostics, because they believed in this, this spiritual realm as sort of the highest level, they, gave a, they, they believed that everything in the created realm was evil and oppressive. And so they really didn't talk a lot about any sort of uh, personal holiness because everything in the body was already sinful. So if you wanted to go out and have a bunch of partners or you wanted to, you know, participate in whatever you want to participate, it didn't matter because the, the, the flesh was already corrupted. So it didn't matter if it got corrupted more. So there wasn't much of an emphasis on personal holiness within Gnosticism. And we see that today in wokeism where, you know, I'm able to kind of just create my own truth and how I want to live and, you know, my own pronouns and all these different things. None of that really matters as long as I identify with kind of this, this heightened consciousness of, of oppression and systematic oppression in society, then I'm accepted regardless of my behavior. So that's attractive to people that want to feel spiritual, but don't want to actually have to, you know, uh, submit themselves to the Lordship of, of Jesus and, and actually, you know, die to themselves and, and do the hard work of, 
of, you know, battles in the flesh and all the things that we as Christians have gone through, you know, for the sake of following Christ, uh, it's much easier to avoid all that and feel spiritual and not have to do any of it. Yeah. And you, um, you mentioned at the end of your book, you, uh, playing the long game and you don't, uh, where is this 177 and you give kind of, you, you don't have to do talk about all of them, but you give a list of kind of five, um, basically pieces of advice to, to, to playing the long game. Give us a couple of, of those things. Tell us what Christian, what we should do in, yeah. in light of all this stuff that's going on in the church and wokeism. Like what, what are a couple of things we can do as, as believers? Yeah. And I really compare that, you know, because we have seen, we have seen uh, socialists and Marxists and, and uh, deconstructionists, they've been comfortable playing the long game. There was a socialist party in America before there was ever the formation of the USSR in the early 1900s. Uh, it's been happening here for a long time. Um, and they've been happy to, to go slow and to get us to where we are today. Uh, the church, I think at times, and, and those maybe um, have more of a conservative mindset, we kind of want results right now. You know, it's like, well, we want to do this thing right now and see that change. I, I think that we have to look at, you know, incrementally working our way through this. Uh, here in Indiana, we just had a law passed the end of this week uh, that was banning um, uh, gender transitions, uh, medical and surgical for minors under uh, the age of 18. And basically anybody that's in a current you know, state of, of, of utilizing this has a year to kind of get off of whatever program they're on. And, and, you know, I think that's a big win for, uh, for minors. And, and look, if, if, if these individuals are not old enough to vote, if they're not old enough to get married in many cases, then they shouldn't be old enough to, you know, uh, um, uh, emasculate themselves or, 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 uh, uh, mutilate their bodies, you know, because of a, a whim that they're feeling at a given time. And so, you know, we need to work the state house. We need to work the school boards. We need to, uh, make sure that we're, we're pushing, you know, with our church. I mean, how many people do we know that are still attending a woke church? I always tell people like, look, if your church is starting to go woke, here's your obligation. First off, you talk to somebody, you talk to the elders, you talk to the pastor, you don't go in there guns blazing and accusing people. You go in there and you just say, Hey, as an attendee of this church, I love this church. I love the, I love the whole thing, but I have some concerns. Can we talk that? I want to know if I can be heard about these things. And you put them in a position where they have to defend these different, these different things, maybe that they're teaching. If it's, you know, uh, uh, intersectionality or white privilege or, you know, whatever it is that they're presenting, you know, um, that, uh, or, or skewed version of, of marriage and sexuality. And so you have to have those hard conversations. Ultimately, if your church is, is going to reject the word of God, you have a choice. You can either stay there and continue to be part of it, or you can vote with your dollars and with you know, uh, uh, your seats, and you can choose to put that into a church that's still going to stand firm. And I think that uh, over time, if we continue to defund and divest our, uh, our interests in um, uh, woke entities, especially within Christianity, we're going to see that we're going to see that um, uh, start to you know turn the ship. And I would say to Christian leaders out there, because I know that you have a lot of prominent uh, Christian leaders that that follow your stuff here, Beckett, is that uh, we have to stop giving platform to woke preachers. Stop inviting mm-hmm. them to your conferences. Stop giving them the big honorarium. Stop giving them a place. You have to, you can't just because they're popular, just because people like them, you cannot continue to give them a, a, a place of prominence to proclaim a message that's antithetical to the gospel. You have to stop that. And so these are just a few things that I believe that we can do as, as leaders and as Christians. Wow. Well, we're going to leave it there, guys. The book is Woke Jesus, the False Messiah Destroying Christianity. Thank you, Lucas Miles, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Becky, thanks for having me. It's an honor. We'll see you guys next time.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.